Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to a new episode of Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Felix Fortsman. Uh, Felix, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, some of your background and story, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into it. So I'm a real estate investment expert and uh, coach uh, and a sales representative with Rockstar Real Estate. Um, I've been in, uh, a real estate investor for well over 25 years at this stage. Uh, kind of went full steam ahead with it back in 2010 uh, after the financial crisis. Um, and uh, since then, my specialty in locally is taking single family homes and converting them into three legal units. But I have found that over the last couple of years that, you know, the numbers are not working as well in Canada. The rent control legislation is certainly not in the landlord's favor, but I still want to continue investing in real estate and uh, was looking for greener pastures and more opportunities uh, to enable me to do so for myself and my clients. And uh, that's how I kind of ended up in uh, investing in uh, some U.S. Uh, opportunities uh, between uh, specifically between Arizona and uh, the, the state of Georgia as well. So that's cool. kind of where I'm at right now. So one to three, and I usually hear uh, duplex conversions, but one to three, you're not, I'm guessing going into the U.S., you're changing strategies a little bit. Um, well, it's, they're different investment uh, vehicles in the States. Okay. To a certain extent. I mean, I do invest in some development deals in Canada as well. Uh, but uh, the things I invest in in the U.S. are predominantly, you know, turnkey, uh, truly passive in nature. In fact, the only thing that I have to do is maybe file my U.S. tax returns. That's the only complication. Uh, but again, that's something that uh, we can have some cross-border accountants directly here in Canada to uh, who can complete those things for us. Uh, the reason why these opportunities are turnkey is because, you know, we as the general partners or me as a limited partner or general partner, as the case may be, general partners take uh, a lot of care to ensure that we avoid double taxation to structure these prop, uh, these uh, type of uh, arrangements in such a manner to avoid any double taxation um, and to provide a truly turnkey uh, opportunity from the perspective of, you know, you will never hear a call from a landlord in the middle of the night or a repair or maintenance issue. Um, you know, we're dealing with specialists in the areas, boots on the ground, uh, A-level teams that have amongst themselves hundreds of years of real estate investment experience and delivering on, uh, on these exact types of business plans. They're much more sophisticated investors in a lot of respects. And uh, quite frankly, quite quite accessible to, uh, to a lot of individuals, um, you know, notwithstanding, you know, the equi uh, investor accreditation requirements, but we do have some, um, I guess, limited space for sophisticated investors. And what that basically means is, you know, somebody who is a real estate investor, you know, at least started being a real estate investor in Canada. Uh, we do provide those type of uh, access to those individuals as well for these types of investment opportunities, but largely they are basically geared towards accredited investors. So that's the one thing that I should underscore. <clears throat> um, but apart from that, they're turnkey. Um, you know, the, the returns offered are excellent. Um, they're sophisticated to the point of us even basically putting cap rates on mortgage rates. Um, you know, we actually have, think of it as an insurance policy uh, with respect to rates going up. 
um, sometimes the lenders require us to actually take these caps, uh, caps to begin with, which basically means that if mortgage rates go up uh, over a specific threshold, that rate cap kicks in. We're still bound to pay the higher interest rates, but the rate cap provider will basically reimburse us for the difference. Um, what else? Yeah, and I've heard of that too. And you usually have the option to take that or not. And I, like, I think we kind of, you kind of, you know, went over that pretty quick, but like in, in those cases, it's usually a little bit more expensive on your rate, but um, especially right now, it makes a lot of sense. A hundred percent. And we've, we've seen that the rate caps have, you know, the premiums on the rate caps have obviously risen quite substantially over the last eight months, certainly. Um, but it, it protects, uh, all investors uh, from that variable factor that everybody is so afraid of today as well, right? So uh, returns do get impacted, but you know it's all about basically uh, everybody's ability to sleep well at night and ensuring that we can execute on our business plan and deliver and hopefully even basically exceed the returns that uh, we're uh, um, we're highlighting uh, to investors as well. Okay. The other, <clears throat> go ahead. No, no, you, you go. I'm just going to add it. I was going to go on a different question, but you, you keep finishing up. Finish the thought. Sorry. <laughs> um, the other benefit about dealing is so I'm predominantly more concentrated in the multifamily space uh, these days, but I do uh, invest in uh, development opportunities and some private money lending predominantly to development deals. Uh, that's specifically in the greater Phoenix area of Arizona. On the multifamily side, the nice thing is we're dealing with, with jurisdictions that are highly landlord friendly like which will sound like unicorns to the typical Ontario investor. Um, you know, we're dealing in jurisdictions where there's no rent controls, um, when where we as the landlords get to decide whether to renew a tenant's lease on an annual basis. And if we choose not to renew, the tenant has to move. And if uh, evictions are a requirement and there's a need to evict tenants, that time frame is only two to three months versus over 12 months in uh, <clears throat> Canada right now. So. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about all these rent eviction uh, legislation that the, the government is imposing in Ontario. Uh, we can execute on our business plan much more easily as a result um, and do it quicker than we can in, uh, in Canada. And think of these basically investments as um, being longer term burrs slash flips. That's basically what these things are, right, on, on the multifamily side. So these are multifamily, and usually, whenever I hear the the term turnkey, I'm always, they're usually used in the single family space or duplex space, right? Um, mm -hmm. So you're talking about um, turnkey multifamily. Um, like, what does that look like? What what kind of building? What size are you looking at? How many units? Like, what what are you in the commercial space? Are you in the fourplex space? Like, what, what does that look like? It would be more on the commercial side. We're looking at larger projects. Um, the deal that we're currently working on is the second one that we're working on in the last nine months in the, in uh, the greater Atlanta area of Georgia. Um, the first deal was approximately 350 units, um, garden suite complex, so multiple buildings, uh, you know, mid-rise buildings, two, three floors, several blocks of those type of buildings. The current deal we're working on is kind of interesting as well. It's a all 122 unit townhouse rental complex, uh, which uh, which is a bit of a more of a premium product. Um, uh, when I say turnkey, I'm saying turnkey to the investor, but uh, from our perspective, as I indicated, there's a bird strategy involved here. So we've, so I'll use the current deal that we're working on as an example. We've identified 79 out of the 122 units that we can reposition uh, to drive equity higher 
and valuations higher in the property. We've identified several cost-saving measures. Um, you know, these properties are evaluated, evaluated or valued at the, based on a cap rate, prevailing cap rate. So basically what that means, let's say if we take a 4.5% cap rate for every dollar that you either earn or save in any given year, you're effectively increasing the value of the property over $20, right? Um, and so some of the units that we're, uh, out of the 79 units that we're going to be renovating, um, you know, we're looking to increase rents by about 200 plus a month. You yeah. know, so if you run those numbers just on a prop, uh, on a unit basis, forget about the, the entire property, uh, there's a substantial equity lift there. Yeah. Um, we're also concentrating on areas, you know, there's, there's a plethora of opportunities in the U.S. versus Canada. First of all, it has 10 times the size of the population uh, of Canada. Also, it has a significantly more inventory of the multi-units that we're looking to, to, uh, to invest in. But the underlying factors that we evaluate these opportunities on are exactly the same as what we do with local properties in Ontario. You know, we're looking for um, municipalities that have very diversified industry bases, you know, home to several Fortune 500 companies, influx of population, uh, excellent rental rate increases um, on, an, on an annualized basis, and uh, clearly demand, right? Like uh, demand continues to increase. Um, there are other opportunities in the states where if you want to be, you know, specifically focused on cash flow, you can go for properties that are cost less per unit. I prefer not to deal with those either locally or internationally, um, because at the end of the day, basically, I'm always looking to mitigate my risks. I know that a lot of people look at investors and uh, they think that they're, you know, high risk individuals. Nothing could be further from the truth. I'm actually a pretty risk averse individual. Um, and so I'm looking at all of those factors uh, in order to determine how do I mitigate my risk within the, each investment. The other interesting part that people should understand within this field, especially in the multifamily space, um, you're looking at, um, how should I put it? <laughs> uh, oh, the structure of these deals, my apologies. Okay, yeah. So the structure of these deals. So there's a, whether you're dealing in Canada or the U.S., you can have similar structures. I mean, when you're dealing in the U.S., obviously you want to make sure that the uh, the the, uh, the ownership structure is done in such a manner to avoid double taxation. Apart from that, basically, uh, you know, the tax treatment of that property, if done properly, would be the same as if this property is lo lo located within um, Ontario or Canada, as the case may be. Uh, but the structure actually is quite interesting as well. Like most people who do these type of deals either employ a fund structure um, and, you know, in, in the simplest um, uh, way to explain a fund structure is your typical REIT, a private REIT or a public REIT. It has a basket of a bunch of properties within that fund. Um, <clears throat> you're diversified, but diversification also has its costs because you get the good, the bad and the ugly potentially all in one basket. Whereas, and on top of that, it has a higher cost structure because now you have to have a CEO, a CFO, all this underlying admin staff, and they, they need to get paid as well. Um, so I choose typically not to invest it within fund structures. I prefer to deal with the other alternative, which is the GP slash LP structure. Uh, it enables me to pick and choose which product, uh, which specific projects I want to get involved with and invest in, uh, as opposed to a basket. Um, and and the, the nice thing about the GPL structure as well, the, the bias from the general partners is to ensure 
uh, maximization of returns and minimization of risk uh, to the limited partners who are the passive investors. So the general partners are the active investors. The yeah. reason being is because unless the, the, the project delivers on the results, the general partners really don't get paid anything. So they have the incentive to actually move forward and actually deliver on the business plan and not only meet expectations, but hopefully exceed those expectations as well. Because we're looking to basically build, you know, longer term relationships with our with our investors. And ultimately it all comes down to delivering on those results um, and making sure that uh, we, we can deliver on them consistently. Um, the other thing that people should look into when, when they're evaluating uh, general partners is A, uh, the level of expertise that these general partners have, because general partners, you know, basically it's it's a, a bigger scale joint venture for all, for lack of a better expression, right? So you want to evaluate people. You want to make sure that they have skin in the game. So for example, in the projects that I personally act as a, a co-GP on, I put on a substantial amount of capital myself. So I participate in these deals as both a limited partner and a general partner. Um, and it's, you know, I believe in these products. It gives a heck of a lot more sense of security to our limited partners because our general partners, the vast majority of them, if not all of them, have skin in the game. Um, and we're all basically moving in the right in, in the same direction to, to achieve those results and, and uh, make our investors happy as well. So it's a win-win situation every which way you look at it. Okay. All right. I was, he, he kind of cleared that up a second just, just now. I was like, wait a sec. You said you're talking multifamily and then you talk to credited investors. So I'm like, okay, we're talking a syndication or a fund. And so it's a, it's a syndication model, uh, GP, uh, uh, GPLP structure, uh, which is pretty, it's pretty typical, but you said it was very passive. Um, and that's where I was like, wait a second, I I'm, I'm setting up one of these syndications myself. I'm like, there's a lot of work that goes into this. So you're coming on. Um, so there'll probably be like a main sponsor or the main company. And you come on as a GP, as a supplemental to, for raising capital or doing the, some of the, the other, uh, other parts. Am I, am I off base there? Or did I get kind of get. When I started investing in the U.S., I did it by myself and had to go through the growing pains of doing that. GlennSutherland.com slash coaching. A 12-week coaching program done one hour per week over Zoom from the comfort of your own home. Classes are kept to five people to be able to answer everyone's questions. Shortcut the process. Make fewer mistakes. Curriculum available at GlennSutherland.com slash coaching. No, you're you're absolutely correct. There's a substantial amount of work involved, but the work that work is done by the general partners. They're the ones who are actually the active partners, and they're looking to basically create that turnkey opportunity to to the passive investors who are the limited partners. Um, substantial amount of work, you know, you know, from structuring the defining the deal, structuring the deal, getting financing for the deal, um, you know guaranteeing the mortgage on the deal you know the limited partners are not on the hook on the mortgage as the general partners are and uh and also from a liability perspective you know limited partners are basically limited to whatever their invested funds are in the deal whereas the general partners have unlimited liability so uh, you know you should also basically evaluate basically the split between the general partners and the limited partners i mean you can see it all over the place it's kind of the wild wild west i've seen it as low as 30 percent in favor of the general partners all the way up to 50 50. Right, and that, that, that typically relates to how much work is involved with repositioning that product. You know, obviously if you have like a very problematic property where the general partners are going to have to spend a substantial amount of time w without literally getting paid in a lot of cases uh, until the back ends, 
um, you know, that that would entail more of a favorable split towards the general partners simply because of the nature and the amount of work involved. Whereas something a bit more turnkey property where there's very limited renovations, it's a newer property, um, great tenant base, and there's not very much work on the general partners on an ongoing basis, you know, the split would be lower. Yeah, um, sure. And you have everything in between as well. So, I mean, it's definitely a consideration that people should take a look into. Um, personally, you know, I like, I'm at that position where I can actually be a general partner or a limited partner. Sometimes I like to be in the driver's seat. Sometimes I want to be in the passenger seat because ultimately, you know, what is everybody's why as a real estate investor? It's, it's to win more time, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to create more work for themselves. Um, so I'm at that stage in my life where I can redeploy my capital, maybe by refinancing my properties locally to redeploy those funds, you know, borrow at even today's 8%, uh, five to 6% interest rates. And as long as I can get a return higher than that, uh, I'll do that. I'll take that deal any day. Um, so I have another question. So if you're buying turnkey, uh, multifamily, um, it, you know, it's based on net operating income. So if it's turnkey, like a lot of times when I'm buying these, we're, we're, I'm looking for like a value add, we're going to do some sort of renovation to improve the rents. Is is that like, what is the value add to this? Or like, because you, you need to be able to refinance or sell this at a profit in, you know, probably five years. So is, is it just under market rents or what, is there something, because if it's turnkey, there's going to be no renovation or is there an opportunity that somewhere that the, the current operators missed? Uh, well, first of all, when I say turnkey, it's turnkey to the limited partners. Okay. All right. Okay. There we go. All right. <laughs> it's turnkey because they don't have, they're, they're totally passive. They're not the ones doing the renovations. They're not doing the ones, uh, the ones doing the repositioning. They're not the ones basically dealing with the tenant issues, uh, rent collections, repairs, maintenance, or any of that stuff. However, the underlying uh, opportunity itself is, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, is uh, a longer term, mid to longer term burr slash flip right so typically the way that we're looking to structure these type of deals is you know for the first nine months there's no payment of uh, uh, uh no you know there's a suspension of payment of distributions there is a cash flow component by the way as well uh with these deals which is the other positive you don't have to wait until the back end to get paid out there's a very nice cash yield uh that uh, that all uh, the limited partners participate in uh but ultimately essentially the it's, it's no different than another burr, except instead of a six month period, we're taking a three month approach because of the number of units involved, um, you know, required to turn over these tenants, renovate the units, achieve those cost savings, do the renovations, reposition these properties, re-rent them out at higher, uh, at higher rental rates to drive that equity lift higher. Um, yep. At that stage, the reason why I'm saying it's a longer term burr slash flip, because at year three, we as the general partners will decide okay is are the market conditions right for us to sell this product if not then we'll simply just refinance this product hence the bird yep. right yep. at the refinance stage we're typically looking at repaying back about 50 percent of our uh investors capital initial capital without impacting their ownership stake in the proportionate ownership stake in the project and they continue generating a cash flow of the remaining funds in the deal right and the reason why there's a substantial uh, suspension of distributions for the first nine months um, when we raise funds from investors, we're looking at uh, setting up contingency funds in addition to what it would take to close on, on the deal. We're looking at basically uh, renovation budgets as well, uh, raising money for that. But in addition to that, for the first nine months, we're using the existing cash flow coming out of that property 
and it is cash flow positive, by the way, as is from day one, which is also a huge benefit, which is not very common in uh, in the Ontario market. Um, we're using a lot of that cash flow to do a lot of those renovations as well. So the last thing we want to do is basically do a cash call with our limited partner saying, hey, we need more cash. Uh, we'd rather basically take a much more conservative approach. Yes, it eats up a little bit of our returns, but it gives it, it, it lets people sleep well at night and truly make these type of uh, investment opportunities uh, turnkey and passive in nature. Yeah, I get it. So instead of uh, raising the renovation money, you just earn the renovation money um, out of the, the, the cash flow that's currently generating right from day one. We do both. both. We do both um, because we want to make, make sure that we have that buffer in place including some contingency funds. Um, clearly, I mean, we'll do everything in our power because remember, our, our goals are aligned with the limited partners. The better our limited partners do, the better the general partners do. So we will do everything possible to minimize the cost of those renovations, to minimize costs uh, across the board, uh, and to drive those returns higher because it's in everybody's benefit. Everybody's interests are aligned. Um, so you know, if, if we don't use all of the contingency funds or the additional funds we raised, of course, those are going to be returned back to our, our limited partners. Yeah. Um, yeah. But because we are raising those funds initially, the returns suffer a little bit, but that's kind of the peace of mind kind of uh, uh, contingencies that we're building into these type of deals. Our intent, of course, is to always basically be overly conservative with what we offer our investors as far as what the return expectations are. Our goal is to always basically, you know, under promise and over deliver, right? But we are very comfortable with our, you know, we have a very robust underwriting uh, process with respect to these deals. What would it, it would take to renovate, um, you know, all, all that good stuff, you know, minimize, minimize risk to interest rates, uh, minimize risk to uh, materials going up. Um, have A-level uh, teams, boots on the ground that are local, including general partners who are local uh, to uh, uh, with respect to these opportunities. Um, so it's not as if like we're managing these things remotely by any means of the word. We actually have dedicated staff that is taking care of the day-to-day. -day. And we as the general partners, of course, have weekly uh, calls with all stakeholders to, to discuss what's going on, uh, the progress to date, uh, making sure that we're delivering on the business plans within the timeline specified. And of course, regular communications with our limited partners as well, because we want to make sure that they um, f f have full clarity and full transparency with respect to what's happening with, uh, with the project. Um, if we have any issues, we want, you know, it's not just the good that we're going to be presenting. Obviously, you know, there's hiccups in any, in, in any uh, project. Uh, but we are all comfortable, despite all of that, basically with uh, with the returns that we're uh, projecting for for these opportunities. Um, so that that those even those hiccups should not basically uh, impact those returns. Okay. Yep. So, is there an advantage to doing it that way rather than raising all of the renovation money, like to to doing? Because I like, personally, when if I'm when I'm raising money, I it's I'm just maybe you're better at this than me, but I'm thinking, geez, I'm, it's gonna be a hard sell to tell people they're not gonna get the cash flow for nine months. Like, would it, is there an advantage to doing it that way over just raising more capital and being able to pay them right from day one? Well, two things. Number one, because the cash flow is, so there's two, uh, two components of ROI with these, yeah. uh, with the, at least the way that we structure them. Yeah. There's, there's a cash flow component and then there's also the equity component, lift component. The cash flow component—it's um, not that you're not getting those those that cash flow. It just it's suspended for nine months. But the way that we structure it, it's a cumulative preferred yield. 
which means that you are due those distributions from day one after closing. Okay. So they, they are payable, however, at, at a future point. So it could be payable any deficiencies in any given year with respect to what the preferred cumulative distribution. Has, if there's any deficiency in, a, in any given year, it gets carried forward into the next year, right? So whatever the next year is, now you have to add the next one. Typically speaking, if you're looking at these type of projects, um, you know, you're looking at below budgeted distributions, probably for the first couple of years, as you're working through cash to, to execute on your business plan, to uh, renovate these units, reposition these units. You know, there's obviously going to be a bit more vacancy while we're working on that. Um, but the rates change they keep stepping up or like they change throughout the project? Yeah. So usually our investors are made fully whole with respect to all of those yields from day one. Uh, during either the exit strategy in year three or year five or six, uh, depending on where the market conditions are, because we, we get to choose as a general partners, whether it makes sense for us to sell that product basically after three years. If it doesn't make sense, we'll, we'll just refi. And when we refi, we'll pay back capital, a, a good chunk of our capital to our, uh, to our limited partners, plus make them whole with respect to all their, any deficiencies in distribution. Once that happens, however, any remaining funds in the deal continue generating that distribution. And those rates are now higher because the product has been repositioned, right? So there's a bit of a timing difference. So you'll have a bit less basically, not always, you know, depending on where the market conditions are. Heck, you know, rental rates could pop up by another 10% more than what we even expected. Voila, there's, there's your, you know, the, the cash distributions could even be higher or interest rates can come lower. And again, there's a lot of variable factors, but we like to take a much more conservative approach. Um, and then at the back end, basically, once you sell that project, uh, the property, um, you get you get all of your equity uh, lift at that stage as well. When you do your refinances, does their percentage of ownership change at all? When they as you are you cashing them out at all? Okay, none whatsoever. It's exactly the same as basically doing a burn in, in Ontario. Yep. You refi, yes, you have a bigger loan amount, but your proportionate uh, ownership stake in the project does not change. Similar to, you know, taking a single family home or, or doing a birth strategy in Ontario, you refi, you're still the owner of the property at the end of the day, right? So, so inadvertently, you're actually going to be making more money percentage-wise because you have, don't have as much cash in the game. Um, correct. Right, if you've been cashed out, say, half or more than most of your money, um, then, you, you know, you're still going to be earning a rate based on the same percentage of the ownership of the property. And on top of that, you can redeploy those funds that you got back um, into other opportunities as well. It doesn't have to be with us. It could be anywhere, right? Um, you did bring up an, a, an interesting point as well. Um, what was it about again? Oh, raising the funds. Why do we not raise all the funds up front? Um, if you raise a lot of funds, it starts impacting your returns because the biggest opportunity that we have as real estate investors is the leverage that we get from our real estate assets. Right. right. So, so we don't want to basically, you know, technically we can raise funds to fund the entire deal, but the returns would suffer as yeah. a result. Right. So we try to basically find that that happy medium. Um, the nice thing is from a risk perspective, because the properties are already cash flow positive as is without doing any repositioning, that's already a risk mitigation strategy. And on top of that, we're using the cash flows literally coming out currently from the property in order to fund some of those renovation costs without having to ask our investors to invest more or to provide additional funds if, if we find a shortage, you know, a year or two from now. So it's kind of a win-win situation and enables us to maximize those returns for all concerned. Cool. Cool.
I, that's I think that's really all I had for questions. I was writing them down as I came, but because I don't actually I don't plan anything ahead of time. But um, <laughs> Felix, is there anything else I should have asked you about that you you had uh, on your mind that you wanted to chat about during this conversation? Well, uh, just uh, just want to uh, maybe tell your viewers that there's a plethora of other opportunities. So I touched upon the multifamily space. Maybe I can touch upon um, what I'm doing in the development side. Sure, um, sure. and repositioning in, in uh, the greater Phoenix area of Arizona. And by the way, these are not the only states that I should be concentrating in. We're always exploring other opportunities all across the US. Uh, but again, we're looking into areas where there's an influx of population flow, good paying jobs, uh, you know, diversified industries, that sort of thing. Um, so on, on, in the greater Phoenix area, I'm more involved as a passive partner, the limited partner, Yep. Uh, with respect to some development opportunities with purpose-built communities, um, you know, think semi-detached homes, one, two bedroom units, lab on grade, you know, rental office, pool area, all that good stuff. Yep. Um, you know, in addition to that repositioning of, of different other assets, right now I'm about to exit an opportunity where there's an office building in downtown Phoenix that the, uh, our general partners have repositioned. Uh, you know, they've created the residential suites on several floors uh, and commercial space uh, at the lower level. Um, there's, there's a plethora of opportunities out there basically is, is I guess what I'm trying to impress upon uh, everyone. And they, you know, the rates of return are different depending on the opportunity. Uh, the negative about the Phoenix, uh, the, the greater Phoenix area markets is there's no cash flow component. But, the rates of return are typically higher as a result. So it's very similar to a lot of the private syndicated private equity deals that we see in, in Ontario, which I'm involved with as well. Um, you know, but ultimately- so paid at the end then for the whole thing, whenever they sure, the property sure. or the project, yeah. Even the private money deals basically, but the, the private money deals are usually like, you know, 12 to 24 months uh in duration and even the development deals because they don't have the red tape that we have in, in in ontario um you know what it would take to basically just get a permit approved in ontario the whole project is already completed within that time frame in, in the greater phoenix area you know you're looking at it like 24 to 48 months to complete the entire project from start to finish um you know we're always looking at opportunities as well where we can buy these assets below market value so for example the atlanta deal uh, it's actually in Decatur, which is about a 20 minute drive from Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, we, we had the property appraised at 19.9 million. We're, we're purchasing it for 18.2. So there's already built up equity in those things as well, right? So we're looking to minimize those type of things. So you're still looking for great deals. You're still trying to find great relationships and build great long-term relationships within the network to, uh, to enable all parties to continue to profit from these types of opportunities, whether they want to be general partners or limited partners. Um, and the one thing that I can tell you, uh, uh, you know, your viewers as well, is that if they're ever interested in becoming a general partner, one of uh, a great way for them to actually get get their feet into these type of opportunities as a general partner is to maybe raise funds for these type of deals. Obviously, we're always looking for individuals who are going to be putting their own money where their mouth is. They need to basically invest in those projects as well. But uh, they're much more accessible than, than your typical bird, less capital intensive, because you know, we as the general partners decide what is the minimum investment limit, for, as an example. So on our current deal, for example, it's 75,000 US, which is to, to get invested in a bird type of deal. Whereas in something like in Ontario, you know, your, your down payment on that property is probably going to be in excess of that. And the amount of capital you're requ you'll require to uh, to renovate those properties are going to be substantially higher than that. 
So it's nice for people to basically take a piece of the action, you know, in a much more sophisticated investor without all the risks involved with, uh, with, with doing a burst strategy yourself. Right. And, uh, and as a result, basically it's much more accessible to the, a lot of other investors who have an interest in investing in real estate or are looking for better returns than what they're basically earning right now in the stock markets or any of their other investment vehicles. Um, and while also enabling them to diversify their portfolio by getting into these deals, um, you know, private, syndicated private equity deals. They're not typically, you know, advertised anywhere uh, by any financial institution or any financial advisor out there. The reason being, by the way, is because there's nothing in it for, for these individuals. That's <laughs> they want their commission. <laughs> they want their commission. They want uh, exactly, and and they're much more and they're much more lucrative than your typical REIT investment that you can buy basically in the public markets. Um, the returns are certainly much better. The risks are certainly much lower um uh, because we have we have full control of that asset as opposed to giving your money to a REIT and saying hey you know you take care of it um the the one thing that people should realize about REITs maybe as a as, as a last thing sure. is you know to me REITs are you know publicly traded REITs are more like Ponzi schemes right <laughs> they're basically accumulating funds from investors redeploying those funds to purchase other properties but more importantly and what this is the one thing that people don't seem to realize they market their products, their returns as as capital, um, as, as tax efficient, because a portion of your returns are actually a payback of your capital. Well, a payback of capital is not a return. You know, you, you can't have an asset that's trading at a 3% cap and the REIT is paying you 7%. How does that work, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a real return. That 7% that the, some of these uh, uh, REITs are paying is not a true return. It, you know, maybe 2% of that after, after all their costs is, is the actual uh, ROI and the rest is a payback of capital. Well, a payback of capital is not an ROI, <laughs> but unfortunately within the REIT industry, that's kind of the way they structure it. Whereas with our deals, you know, when we indicate an return or ROI, it's an actual ROI. It's not a payback of capital, right? Um, so it's uh, just, just want to make sure that your viewers also basically can distinguish between the two and the pros and cons of investing in uh, those type of products versus these types. This has popped in my head. I'm not sure if you're part of the underwriting process, but um, I'm just curious where you're under, if you are doing part of the underwriting, where you're underwriting your cap rates, just because um, like for the first time in a long time, they're actually going up. Um, right. So like um, I, I've talked to a bunch of different syndicators and they're, they're underwriting a different amounts of uh, space. Um, are, are you are you part of the underwriting process or do you know what they're uh, underwriting that at for a gap? Absolutely. So like I said, we tend to be overly conservative uh, and very robust in our underwriting standards uh, to the point that where we're looking at our projections, we're actually increasing cap rates on a yearly basis uh, just to be on the safe side. Now, if cap rates you know stay the same or actually fall, we win and our yeah. investors win as well. But we're actually increasing cap rates by 0.15% per year over a five, six year period. Right. And and the reality is basically, even if you know the market conditions do not uh, enable us to sell these products, the nice thing about these products is, you know, if we don't sell, that means that we're going to have substantial amount of cash flow coming out of these products. So you get paid while you wait, uh, you know, you get paid while you wait for us to exit these strategies. Mm -hmm. uh, and the cash flow is quite nice as well. I mean, like it's to put it in perspective, if we don't sell after year five or six, you're looking at cash flows that are well in excess of what most people would hope to get in a first or even a second 
uh, private money deal in, in Canada for as, a, as an interest payment. While still having ownership in the project and the equity lift, I mean, that, that's why these projects are much more um, lucrative than your typical private money deals because your, your returns on your private money deals are capped. Here you, got, you get that cash flow component, which in a lot of cases is going to be equivalent to that private money deal, but then you have the kicker at the back where, where you're getting the equity lift in the, in, in the project as well. So there's a, a massive potential upside. And if that upside basically does not come to fruition in three years, it'll come to fruition in five, six years. And if, if and by the way, in five, six years, if we again deem as general partners that we don't wanna basically sell the property because the time is not right, no problem. We'll basically refi it again. At that stage, we'll repay the 100% of our investors' capital. They retain ownership in the deal, and they continue to benefit from the cash flow coming being popped out of that deal without pretty much being zero risk in the deal at that stage. Cool, uh, Felix. People wanted to get a hold of you. Where's what's the best way to track you down? Sure. Uh, so they can uh, contact me on my email at Felix. So Felix at Cloud C L U. C-L-O-U-D, the number nine, life.ca. So Felix at cloud9life.ca. Or they can connect with me through uh, Facebook or LinkedIn uh, directly. And uh, if they have any questions or require any insights or just want to pick my brain with respect to what my experiences have been like with any investment strategy, because believe me, I've tried pretty much everything under the sun. <laughs> uh, myself first, you know, um, you know, the pros and cons, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, as I tell all my clients, my, my objective is to always provide all the information they need to make an informed decision. Uh, all the good, the bad, and the ugly, not, not all the unicorn, fluffy, you know, just nice things, basically. But people need to understand what they're getting themselves into. Um, and uh, that's kind of the way that I've operated both with my real, real estate clients and also uh, all, all of my investor clients as well. Well, Felix, thank you for coming on the show. I think there was a, a lot of information there. Uh, I know for people who like I, I'm fairly well versed in the multifamily. Hopefully, people understood it, and if not, do reach out to to get some of that stuff clarified because we did talk a lot of a lot of terms in this one. Um, but yeah, do reach out. Uh, either of us can can help you understanding stuff if it went over some people's heads. Um, but anyway, thank you for coming on the show, Felix. I do appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Glenn.